Season 2, Episode 1 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson, and today we have two great guests, Timothy Renner and Joshua Cutchins. The book, Where the Footprints End, High Strangeness and the Bigfoot Phenomena, Volume 2. And we're going to take a look at the evidence and talk about Sasquatch and where some of the stranger evidence lies. Sounds like a perfect choice for us. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N, over at Etsy. You can check out Alchemy Sound Tools. It is a busy year in the old Feral by Aaron Etsy shop. Be one of the many walking away and housing some of her wares at Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N, Alchemy Sound Tools. All right, more in our guests, but first I got to tell you some news. All right, so in the news department here, I need to tell you, first of all, that the next round of Strange Stroll Choices has been posted, and you can find the link. Well, you can find it everywhere. You can go to strangebrowradio.com and go to the Strange Stroll tab, and there you can click a link and get to voting. Or you can go to Facebook. There's the Strange Brow Radio Facebook page at my personal Facebook page also at the Instagram under Strange Brow Radio. It's a very simple click away. The poll's super simple. So click on that and there you'll be able to choose. Just like those old novelettes, choose your own adventure. You're going to send me somewhere and I'm going to roll footage on one of two choices. So if you turn the page and send me to Maury Island to the UFO Slag Forest, there you will find possible remnants of a off-limits forest that supposedly, reportedly, is home to this molten metal that dropped out of donut-shaped UFO, uh, UFOs that were flying over back in the 1940s. Just type it up, Maury Island UFO incident. That's where I would go. Or you can send me, in this case, back to Northern State Asylum, a.k.a. the farm that housed some of the most ruthless, criminally insane people. It also was an active farm where the, uh, the mentally challenged or those that were going through some kind of psychological breakdown were put on or near this farm, which was an active farm. I think it fed the hospital as well as the community around it. So this is a dilapidated, very spooky farm that I have had. Uh, let's just say I had a really bad incident after I left this farm. Now, I don't know if it was connected to that, but I won't be taking any objects home with me from that farm <laughs> ever again. But I will be going there. So when you click on that link, you can pick one of two of these choices here. And whoever gets the most votes is where I will go. Now, don't forget that you can also vote on what I bring, in this case, what I wear. And I thought I would try out uh, changing skins for you if you're into first place, first person player games. Uh, so now you have the, the chance to vote on a, a particular outfit and items I'm bringing with me. Things that you could vote on, like uh, dousing rods or a UV light 
or a spirit box, things of that nature. All these choices are up there. I think there's nine choices all together. And those will be the three special things that I will bring along with me. Now, by this time, I will have color night vision with me. So this will be the beginning of something new. So not only will you get the uh, usual 4K footage that uh, we roll in, but we'll also be filming with the Psionics color night vision as well. And I don't know if I'll just edit that in periodically or have a separate window for it, but I will be bringing two cameras with me and going alone to one of these places. So vote now. You can find out more about that again at strangebrowradio.com might be the easiest place to click. The poll ends on Valentine's Day. That's easy to remember. So 14 days from now, I will close the poll. Just get up there and click away, and then it will be put up at the Strange Brow Radio YouTube channel. And speaking of the YouTube channel and the Facebook page, we have something coming up here as well. If you go to the Strange Brow Radio Facebook page, you can sign up now for the free stream the Sasquatch and Anomalous Audio Analysis this Super Bowl weekend. So, if you're not into football or just sick and tired of the lackluster version of it, it's just been a strange year. You can see us over on Facebook, also at the YouTube channel for the first Sasquatch and Anomalous Audio Analysis conference, a virtual conference, with guest Ron Moorhead of the Sierra Sounds, investigator and experiencer Scott Taylor and experiencer researcher Kevin Carney myself um, and then a screening or a preview a teaser of the documentary Flash of Beauty which will be coming out this year uh, Bigfoot Revealed so that is on June 6th from 9 to 3 that will be streaming also at the YouTube channel, cross my fingers on that one, but certainly it will be streaming on the Strange Brow Radio Facebook page and then in perpetuity also after that. You can interact with the guest speakers, you can talk to us, you can ask questions, and we're going to go over for all the nuts and bolts of audio recording while you're in the field. Now I'm going to be talking about other sounds uh, that maybe aren't related to Sasquatch activity, I, I think they are. And we'll be breaking those down. And some of these sounds have never been heard before, so uh, you want to check that out. Then that evening on the 6th, we are headed out into the rainy Pacific Northwest to do an overnight and come back and do a live review over the audio gleamed from that night. That would be the 7th, Super Bowl Sunday. And that will go from 10 to 1 p.m. So check that out. Facebook Strange Brow uh, Radio YouTube channel. You can go to strangebrowradio.com and uh, find out more about that as well. So that's coming up. Now to our guest, again, Timothy Renner and Joshua Cutchins. The book, Where the Footprints End, High Strangeness and the Bigfoot Phenomena. All right, with me now is Timothy Renner and Joshua Cutchins. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Doing good. It's great to be back, too. Yeah. yeah it's good. And it's a pleasure for my first time to be yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. Our first conversation with Joshua here. And uh, so let's get to it, guys. How did you two meet? 
and uh, tell people a little bit about that process as far as how you guys met and how you ended up co-authoring these great books. Well, Josh tells it better than I do because he actually remembers it. So go ahead, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually uh, found the blog post last night, Tim. I'm going to drop it in the chat here. Um, I was on, it was Christmas season and I was getting ready to uh, fix my watch and I was listening to where did the road go and somebody came up, some guy who was going to do talk about, you know, local legend tripping in Lancaster counter County rather Pennsylvania. And I didn't really know if I wanted to, you know, I'm sure, Oh, there's a cryberry bridge and did the hands push your car uphill? Like I thought it was going to be that sort of thing. So I almost skipped it, but I'm glad I didn't because it was uh, Timothy Renner and it was a really, um, fantastic conversation, the best, uh, local, um, vetting of, you know, urban legends and, and getting really to the bottom of stuff that was going on in his area. And it was really fantastic. So actually the first time that I reached out to Tim and he didn't remember this last time we spoke about it, but I, 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 I just remember. remembered it. <laughs> I remembered it while I was talking about it is, um, there was an entity seen, uh, at a sort of, I'm not going to say paranormal location, but a, a location that has something of a reputation uh, near where he lives called Chickie's Rock that at one point was described as a mummy with knives sticking out of its head. And I reached out to Timothy at the time and said, hey, you know, it sounds a lot like the Pascagoula abduction, the aliens that were describing that. And Tim said, no, it, not really, but nice for <laughs> thanks for reaching out to me. Um, and so I, I, I was just talking about this the other day. I, I actually ended up writing a blog post on that being an interesting little similarity. But eventually we wound up, uh, you know, on one of Soraya Azkath's roundtables on where did the road go. And we just uh, found, I think that we had a kindred, uh, we were kindred spirits and had a similar outlook to the way that these things likely, I think for us operate. Right. Is that the way you remember it, Tim? Yeah. I mean, my, my first memory is reaching out to Soraya because I heard Josh talking about, uh, he was actually talking about Sasquatch Chronicles on where did the road go? And he was sort of applauding Wes for for Wes's uh, kind of change in attitude, yeah, if you remember, Wes started out, you know, talking about flute players and and uh, kind of a lot of disdain for the for the whole paranormal aspect of the phenomenon. And and you know, I applaud Wes for this as well. Very very honestly, over time, he sort of changed and he sort of said, you know what, there is something really weird about this phenomena, and I can't ignore it anymore. And that's that's a very honest position. And you know, so Josh was kind of applauding Wes for for his sort of change in, in attitude on where did the road go? And I had a, um, a paranormal Bigfoot show coming up on strange familiars and I was looking for another guest and I, I reached out to Soraya and said, Hey, put me in touch with this Josh guy. And uh, so that's my first recollection of, of that. And then uh, again, being on that round table around the same time, I think as all that happened. But maybe our origin story is a bit like the Joker's origin story. You know, <laughs> wonder how I got these scars. Five different <laughs> stories. Nobody knows the truth. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you both have experiences prior to that? Did you uh, did you go on discussing experiences uh, on podcast, Joshua? Are you an experience I mean, yourself? Technically, yes, but you can really fit them all inside a thimble. Um, I can go through a quick uh, a quick list right right here. It won't take very long. Um, saw what I'm pretty convinced was the ghost of a young Confederate boy in uh, Stonewall Jackson's house in Virginia, uh, because I saw him in the middle of this crowd and no one else in, in my, my group had seen him. You know, I mentioned it after the fact, nobody else in the group had seen him and nobody had passed uh, by the ticket ladies that day. So I chalk it up to that. Had a, had a, had a uh, 
I had a ghost who was into girl hunting. Um, <laughs> I had a girl who was into ghost hunting uh, <laughs> back uh, back uh, in uh, like probably 2008 or so. And, uh, and we went to Waverly Hills Sanitarium and uh, had a door slam open in my face and saw some light phenomena. Um, just some odd synchronicities here and there. Um, some, some which are like, you know, five levels deep, which are really impressive when I, when I tell them, uh, spell them all out. But, um, you know, again, thinking like entity based here, uh, the closest thing to a Sasquatch encounter, um, is that I honeymooned in Blue Ridge, Georgia, which kind of has a little bit of a Bigfoot reputation. Uh, there's a lovely museum there. Um, uh, that's run by uh, Dave Bacara called Expedition Bigfoot now, but at the time there wasn't. So we were, you know, we were in the hot tub on this cabin. Uh, and I was the last night I was there, I was drunk and making, you know, Bigfoot whoops like people do. Um, this would have been 2013. So before I really got into these topics like this, I was just, you know, passively interested and, uh, come out to the car the next day. And even though the driveway to this cabin is, you know, Serious, like I'm not going to say you know 45 degree angle, but it was pretty darn steep for you know several tenths of a mile. Um, there was there was a giant rock about the size of a basketball, two basketballs, sitting behind the tire of my car. Um, just like somebody had placed it right there the night after I did all these bigfoot whoops. Um, so you know I don't know what that was. Um, it didn't look like it had fallen from anywhere. There hadn't been a rock slide. Um, and if, you know, if you're going to play a prank on us, there are a lot more obvious ways to play a prank. And if you're going to haul a rock up there from somewhere else, that would have been a bit of a trek. So that's uh, probably the closest thing to Bigfoot that I've had uh, short of the sort of uh, short, short of the shuffle snort that I heard with Timothy Renner at uh, site seven. But that's, that's oh, about yeah. It. yeah, that's all I got from site seven, that and some glowing moths. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay. Now I, I know a little bit about you going to site seven. Now were there uh, lights visible when you're at site seven? Were there um, the light phenomena orbs? Did they? Not nothing. That, yeah. Nothing that I could unambiguously say was or wasn't something. I think mm-hmm. every now and then we'd catch something. Right, Tim? Yeah. But I mean, leaves are on the tree. It's so hard. Like now I know where I'd take you to see them better. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'd take you back that closed road we didn't go back and you can see them better from that angle but at the at the time we just sitting in that one area that one parking area it's just so hard to see when there's leaves on the trees yeah we did see like i said we did see some some glow worms and we sort of debunked ourselves <laughs> because yeah, we right. found we saw some glowing on the ground we're like what is that and we ran over to it and, and saw some some probably some firefly larva when we did get out i and the more i think about this tim the more i think it might have been something uh, when we did get out, right when we got out of the car, we heard something that didn't seem very happy with us being there. Mm-hmm. Sort of a bipedal shuffle that the more, again, the more I think about it, the more it does. I don't think it sounded like a white tail snort, but maybe it was. Well, let's get into that. Uh, again, the book, uh, Where the Footprints End, High Strangeness, High Strangeness and the Bigfoot Phenomena, Phenomena, Volume 2, the evidence chapter here, and... In the first chapter, uh, we're getting into the lights, the mystery lights. So let's uh, let's start there. What do you have to say, Timothy, about these lights? Now that you've seen them, they seem to be indicative of what I would call power spots or places where the veil's thin, especially Bigfoot spots. Um, go into some detail here and hop on board, Josh, if you want to, regarding the uh, first chapter. Well, I, you know, the, 
the short answer is, I don't know what to say about them, but I mean, I guess that's the short answer for all this stuff. You know, anybody who says they know is, is, uh, well, they're either, they've either fooled themselves or, or they're lying or they need to, they need to back that up with some proof. So the short answer is, I don't know, but the, the much longer answer is, is yes, I've seen them. They're amazing to see. Uh, they behave in incredibly unexpected ways and seemingly intelligent ways, as far as my observations. Um, the fact that they appear in these areas where Bigfoot is also seen is, is, I mean, it's no proof that, that they have anything to do with Bigfoot, but it's certainly extremely interesting and certainly worth noting. I mean, I, I think we're at the point, I, I think you'll agree with this Tobe. I think we're, we're at the point where you, you, you can no longer just say it's a coincidence that these lights are popping up in these areas. Um, but a very wise not, person to you, Timothy once said, <laughs> 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 Look at the company that these things keep. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's yes, Josh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a, a wise and modest person. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean it, it's it's wonderful and it and and it's an incredible part of the mystery. But you know, mm. I can't say what it is. I you, you know I have pet theories and mm. and and possible you know, speculations and so forth, but really, you know, I don't know. It's science fiction at, at that point. Well, no, it's, it's wonderful to speculate. Give me some speculation. That's what we're here for. What do you speculate? I just feel like, and, and this is based on not just the lights, but being in places and, and hearing the noises, uh, being woken up by wood knocks in another location, for instance, or hearing these grunts and so forth. Um, and very, very rarely seeing anything other than lights. And uh, I chalk that, I, I honestly think at this point, and again, it's just my personal feeling, just from, from my own observations, is that when seeing a creature is the rarest form of this. And then you get these, it's much more common to, to hear the noises, to smell the smells, to, uh, and to see the lights. And, mm -hmm. you know, whether there's some form of, you know, a, a Bigfoot that's transforms into a creature. I have no clue. I don't know exactly what they are, but I do think that the actual seeing of, of the, the physical creature mm. is, is the rarest aspect of the phenomenon. Josh, as far as the lights are concerned, it uh, shows up time and time again with all this phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and these cryptids. What do you think is going on? Well, I, I think that there is some connective tissue there. Uh, you know, it's as our mutual friend who, whose name will probably get dropped <laughs> time and again, uh, Soraya has said that, you know, it really is context dependent. You see one of those in the sky, it's a UFO. You see one of them in an old house, it's a ghost. And you see one of them around, uh, you know, an Iron Age ring fort in Ireland, and it's a fairy light, you know. Um, so I'm kind of a fan of uh, uh, Andrew... Collins's uh, uh, ideas of, of sort of perhaps luminescent intelligent plasma. Um, you know, I have played with the idea that um, the lights are sort of the purest version of this that we get to see. Similarly to the way that Tim sort of just said that, you know, the Bigfoot is the most elegant version <laughs> of whatever's behind this. Sometimes I think that the lights might be the simplest version of it. You know, I think about... Uh, Sometimes if you've ever messed around with a video game and messed around with the source files and you take out a texture and you go into the video game and it's all got like, you know, just that, that one texture, wherever you see that in the game is either completely blank or, you know, or, you know, sometimes pink, depending on what they have as a placeholder. 
Um, and sometimes I wonder if that's what's going on. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm kind of agnostic about it. Uh, my thoughts shift from, uh, you know, book to book that I work on. Right now I'm doing a lot of work with, uh, you know, the ancestral dead and, and looking at stuff like that. So I'm kind of on that, uh, that line of thought right now. Um, because, you know, America, as Peter Lavenda once said, America is, is a haunted house. Um, by merit of the fact that you know any post-colonial nation is going to be just littered with, <laughs> with the indigenous dead, um, right. so you know I, I I really can't say, uh, and I hope I would hope mm -hmm. that if you ask me in six months, the you get an even different answer. <laughs> you know that, that I think that changing and refining your opinions is is really important in this, in this mm -hmm. field. And your research, both of you, did you find that the color of the light had anything to do with the action it took? Well, I, I talked to some different people and, you know, one of, uh, it's, it's a guy I know very well. He's, he's a local guy and he actually, um, he actually made it to site seven before me and, and he was there and he's telling me about the lights before I got a chance to go because he lives within probably three or four miles of the place. And, uh, I told him about it and he, he ran right up there. I think that night, so someone else told me about it. There was a, uh, an older guy who had visited the area when he was a teenager and seen uh, all kinds of weird life, lights and experienced uh, stones thrown at him from the woods, which he attributed to hobos, even though he never saw these hobos. He said hobos in the woods would throw stones at you. Uh, so he'd experienced a number of weird things. So I told my friend and he went up there and, and he saw the lights before I did. And he came out with this, I mean, it's a wacky theory to me, but what, you know, what do I know where, where he said the, the a the lights were were bigfoot eyes he was uh 100 sure of that and b that they would change color according to their mood so he says if if they're red they're angry if uh if they're blue they're they're welcoming i think or blue or green i forget which and you know and if they're white that's their sort of natural calm state and uh, they would change these lights to communicate their mood and communicate to each other to the other bigfoot which is you know really interesting and i yeah I never really like pinned him down on like, where, where did you come up with this? Or is this just, you know, your own theory or what? Um, some other people have, you, you know, kind of put out similar theories, um, which I think is, is kind of a anthropomorphization of the phenomenon. It's, it's, it's really kind of adding human qualities to it that we don't necessarily know if that's true. Um, it's, it's more interesting, I think, when it comes to eye glow than orbs. The orbs I've seen have changed colors. They've, they've come in all different colors and uh, other people have reported similarly. But when people talk about eye glow, um, it's really, really interesting because, you know, only so many animals have a tapetum lucidum, which is the reflective surface on the eyes. No upper order primates do. So if Bigfoot is a natural animal and it's some kind of hominid or, or a great ape, It'd be very, very unique for it to have a tapetum lucidum. And when you talk about these different colors shining, uh, as, as so many people report, you know, blue, green, yellow, red across the board, red is obviously the most common. The only other animal that I know of, and there, there may be some, some others, but uh, that's commonly reported with different color eye shine is a bear. And bears can have uh, green and yellow and red, and it really depends on their diet, what, what color... Uh, I shine they have. Um, so that's very interesting because of how often I think, and I'm not saying all Bigfoot reports are bears. I'm not, I'm not saying that, 
but that is the number one animal that that Bigfoot gets conflated with often when people you know have reports other people say it's a bear right so that's very interesting to me but then you get into the problem of eye glow versus eye shine and and so many witnesses are are adamant that it's not eye shine that it was not reflecting that the eyes themselves were glowing and that is a whole different problem because that makes if if that's true that makes bigfoot <laughs> unique among all animals on earth right yeah and on the cover of your book here it's a blue orb in a bigfoot's hand any reason for that coloration or does it just look sexy? <laughs> that was mostly artistic choice. I wanted to, on volume one, we have the eyes glowing red. So I just, I wanted uh, a different color uh, for volume yeah. two. So it was, it was more of a artist choice. Yeah. And, and I do work with a colorist. I, I gave him some big guidelines. I was like, eh, make it an electric blue. But beyond that, uh, the color choices were yeah. pretty much his. You know, it yeah. does raise some interesting questions, the color of these lights and what they might, um, what they might represent. You know, I, I played with this a little bit in my second book, The Brimstone Deceit, which is about smells in the paranormal, and tried to see if there was a way to line up blue or purple UFO lights to reports of smells of ozone, because that might indicate the presence of some sort of, you know, photo, um, <clears throat> uh, photochemical reaction between the lights and the oxygen in the area around it. But you haven't really, purple's not really a Bigfoot eye color that you hear about. Um, unless one of you wants to wants to prove me wrong, <laughs> I, I'm going to no. just go ahead and throw out that the, there's probably a report out there. But well, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there <laughs> I is. But I, know. It, yeah. but I would have yeah. I would, if I had to venture a guess, I wouldn't say it was you know a, a super common. No, I'd say it's very very rare. Yeah. So I think there are some things that you can that you can glean from the, the colors of these these things. Um, but you know, as far as it being like a Bigfoot mood ring, I think that might be a bridge too far for for me and Tim. <laughs> Right, right. And I think uh, blue eye shine actually was one of the first reports we took out of Cottage Grove regarding what someone called a blue-eyed wow. spider. And then it went on as um, a glowing blue-eyed bear that advanced on a, a local worm wow. farmer. <laughs> and so the uh, the blue glow is something unique as far as the overall experience for the last 15 years hearing about. Mainly yeah, it is yeah. red or orange or green, but blue is uh, an interesting choice for the fact that you kind of nailed out of all the eye color you could have picked for uh, the cover of the book there. I was like, oh, wow. I don't know if I mentioned that detail, but old Frank Sinatra squatches. <laughs> Sinatra squatch. Was this, I, I'm, I'm just Sinatra curious, Tobe, was this, did they report it? Was this the same witness that reported it first as a spider? No, it was actually a uh, house cleaning lady at a hotel in Cottage Grove I was staying at. And, um, you know, I was chatting her up and saying what I was doing. And she goes, well, we saw a blue-eyed spider out that way, but it wasn't no spider. It moved like wow. that. And, uh, of course, you know, we've all heard these stories. So just for you to pick that color seemed more than, a, you know, synchronicity. Well, when, when I was doing the research on the chapter, I just dug in and tried to yeah. find every color I could just to demonstrate, like, there's all these, you know, weird colors. And I did find, like, one or two, I think, blue-eyed ones, but it, it is, it's pretty rare. Yeah, very rare. Well, that moves off into the world of UFOs in general. I mean, these hot spots, uh, you know, they give forth on all this phenomenon, UFOs, they don't stop there. So tell me a little bit about the chapter on UFOs. Why don't you start us off, uh, Timothy? Sure. I'll drop that in Tim's lap. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, in volume one, Josh did Bigfoot inside UFOs. And then he, sa he said, we're going to separate it out, and you take Bigfoot outside of UFOs. So well, and, and, you know, 
I have a I have a hard time separating the alien contact experience from you know traditional, especially Western European fairy folklore. So it was it makes sense to have those two chapters together, and you know similarly, it made sense in my mind at least to have UFOs and these you know this light phenomena uh, existing in the similar space as well. So that was that was the logic that I that I did when yeah. I was like Tim, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's and there's so much. That's the thing. There's there's just like Josh said repeatedly. It's it's like drinking through a fire hose, and and it's a, it's an apt comparison because at some point when you're writing this stuff, it's like how much do I include? How much is enough? Because I really wanted to, I wanted to demonstrate to people that it's it's not an uncommon thing. So when I got into Bigfoot, I knew there was a UFO connection um, just from like Stan Gordon and some other people. But I was told by by a lot of these flesh and blood folks, it's like, oh, it, it's very rare, it very very rarely ever happens. There's there's really nothing to it, and uh, you know, I don't know that I bought that entirely, but you know, right. it, it's some part of me was like, oh, they, you know, they've been into this longer than I have. They must know. And so when I started writing, I just found, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of cases, and I, I just, you know, I threw a bunch in there just to demonstrate that mm-hmm. it's it's not rare. It's not rare at all. It happens a lot. Uh, and, you know, it might not be at the same time, but it, it'll be around the same time, around the same place, or, or in the case of, you know, the Al Moon Lab, you know, it, mm-hmm. it happened, I guess it was one morning when Daryl walked outside, right? He, he right. early morning. Yeah, so, it, I mean, it's, it's really not uncommon for people to, to see these things, in, at least in the same places where people are seeing Sasquatch. And, and usually it's within the, you know, the relatively uh, same time same place right so you know part of my my goal in that was to you know i knew i couldn't be exhaustive and and we knew that with every chapter we we just can't be exhaustive we can't include every single case but i really wanted to be heavy-handed and just throw a bunch in there just to kind of demonstrate like this is not that rare it happens and it happens often Right. Did you go back a little bit in regards to what I call the apers telling you that this is extremely rare? Because it, it's a valuable bit of information for the fact that they told you that because it kind of puts you off the trail. It makes you an outcast to even look at it. What do you think of people that have this opinion that this phenomena isn't tricky, that it's just something that will eventually will outwit the phenomena? What do you think of that? I, I think it's it's extremely naive. And I, I think at some point it becomes, um, you know, actively, uh, false, you know, and, and I think, I think at some point they know they're committing a falsehood as well, but they also know that it sounds so crazy when you start throwing UFOs and, and weird lights and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, ghosts and, and witches and women in white and all this other, you know, crazy, crazy stuff into the mix. They know how crazy it sounds. And they know their their goal is, and it has been for for you know fifty mm-hmm. plus years, to prove to zoologists that this thing is out there, and zoologists are just going to laugh when you start talking about UFOs right. and, and and all this stuff. So, on one hand, I get it. I, I like because they they're really, I'm not. I, I don't want to be constantly like hitting on them, you know, banging on and and insulting them, or and I hope I, it's not taken that way. Cause I get it. I know how earnest they are and, and, and how desperate they are and, and, and how much they believe. And I, I'm a believer too. When I, when I present these sort of skeptical arguments, it's, it's just to show that the flesh and blood thing isn't working. It's not, it's not me saying that I don't believe it. I, I'm a total believer. I absolutely believe people. I've, I've talked to, you know, any number of witnesses 
that have been incredibly convincing and and their life was changed by their sighting and and will forever be changed so i'm I'm absolutely a believer, but I also at this point you know it's just disingenuous to sort of eliminate these things like UFOs and stuff. So it's, it's very frustrating. Like I said, at the same time, I get it. I get what they're trying to do. They, they've invested 50 plus years of their life in some of these guys' case to, in, in proving that this animal is out there. Right. And uh, if they give up on that, then, then in a sense that, you know, they've wasted 50 years of their life. Right, right, right. Yeah. Anything to add to that at all, Josh? I just, I think that cryptozoology in general would be better served if more people would read George Hansen's The Trickster and the Paranormal and Patrick Harper's Demonic Reality. I think it just gives you another tool in your belt to evaluate these things because, you know, some cryptozoologists are going to be vindicated. There are some very good uh, cryptozoological quote-unquote causes or, you know, quarry that I think is going to be proven to be flesh and blood things. But uh, at the same time, you have to find a way to fit a lot of this Bigfoot behavior mm-hmm. into, you know, centuries of folklore that's describing the exact same thing for mm-hmm. all sorts of different ent- entities. You know? Josh, describe mm-hmm. to my audience what a wildengeist is. Am I saying it right? No, Wildnisgeist. The Wildnisgeist. Wildnisgeist. Um, okay, German. So, gotcha. So, yeah, so this is an idea that, that uh, a couple of people have, have played with through the years, but, you know, basically what it comes down to is... Uh, trying to separate the idea that every class B report has to have something to do with Bigfoot. Uh, the example that I use is, you know, in World War II, they kept on getting back airplanes and they were trying to figure out where they should armor their airplanes by counting the number of bullet holes until one person realized, no, you need to count where the bullet holes aren't because the, the planes that are going down are getting hit there. The ones that are coming back are the ones that can survive the damage. So I feel like we kind of need to you know, adjust our own expectations similarly in this respect. And what it comes down to is the fact that a lot of these Class B reports where you don't see, you know, Bigfoot have all the same hallmarks if you place them in a house of a poltergeist encounter. Um, you know, you have uh, dark shapes, you know, that, that are glimpsed out of your eye. You have uh, strange voices, bad smells, knocks and raps, uh, stones that are thrown and often warm to the touch, anomalous footprints. Uh, all of these different things uh, that really you're only saying that they're Bigfoot because you're you're running into them in the forest. So the Wildnisgeist idea, the wilderness poltergeist idea, is sort of a, a fun idea to play with and and, and try to uh, encourage the you know the Bigfoot community to 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 withhold judgment that things are Bigfoot unless you have an actual sighting. But you know things are further uh, confounded when you look at the fact that there is no shortage of seances where especially in the 19th century large hairy man creatures were seen or hairy hands were seen so it really does blur the uh blur the the line the lines between what's you know something exhibiting primate behavior in the woods and what's you know this 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 poltergeist phenomena that's happening in the forest Wow, I'd never heard that before. So during like the spiritualist movement, there were hairy hands that were seen coming through yeah. ceremony? Yeah, hairy hands are pretty common. Um, uh, I believe it was Stan Gooch, who was a paranormal author, was actually in a seance where he saw this uh, Neanderthal man that he wasn't sure if it was hairy itself or it was covered in furs. And there are a couple of other examples as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's something that... You know, again, it's all context dependent. You know, I remember right. one of the things that sort of unlocked it for me a little bit is, is uh, it's very common with these showers of stones. So lithoboli is, is the 
technical, you know, psi researcher term for the showers of stones. Lithoboli is common to fairy encounters, demon and demonic infestations, you know, in the Middle Ages and also, I guess, you know, nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, witches, these are all times when you have lithoboli happen, um, but also poltergeist cases. And, you know, oftentimes people will have, you know, a rock just a port from the ceiling and fall to the ground. Mm-hmm. And these rocks will often be warm to the touch. Uh, there's an example that I use in a slide presentation that's from Australia where they are actually filming the rocks with a thermal camera. And you can actually see that, you know, the rock starts off warm and gets colder and colder. And, uh, you know, in the Minerva monster uh, sightings of the 70s in Ohio, um, the Caton family reported that they would, you know, be tossing rocks back and forth with something in the woods in the bridge line above their house. And they would like mark an X on it and toss it and it would come back. And they said the rocks would be warm to the touch. Now, it's a, it's a reasonable, you know, assumption to say, well, maybe something was holding these rocks. But at the same time, that warm to the touch detail, I find really interesting if you place that within the uh, context of, of poltergeist phenomena. And it gets even weirder with, you know, the Minerva monster because they started calling it, some people called it a hairy witch. <laughs> and there were these cougars that were seen around at these, you know, anomalous bat- black cats. Um, so there's some additional things to sort of unpack there, some symbol- symbolically with, you know, a tradition of hairy witches and a tradition of witches familiars as well. Uh, that, that definitely needs addressing that we talked about a little bit in volume one. Yeah. Well, let's go to uh, chapter four here, Josh, regarding altered states and bounce back and forth from your book, uh, A Trojan Feast, because they kind of play back and forth together, I would suppose, as far as gifting and uh, going into an altered state with, with something offered to you. So talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't think that, to my knowledge, anyone has really sort of talked about Bigfoot and altered states of consciousness that much um you know it's been very much in fashion to talk about dimethyltryptamine and whatnot regarding fairy folklore and the alien contact experience but with bigfoot not so much um and you know i will say that when i was working on a trojan feast a lot of the things that were offered to bigfoot abductees which is a (laughs) a small but extant category of people um the things that they were offered sort of looked a little bit different in terms of uh, what was offered in, you know, to fairy abductees and, alien, uh, you know, alien abductees for lack of a better term. Um, but what's interesting is that there seems to be the possibility of an orally, not orally, but orally, like through the ear, um, induced altered state of consciousness in some of these Bigfoot encounters. Um, there is a pernicious... Uh, buzzing sound, droning sound uh, that's sometimes described uh, and sometimes has these strange sort of off-kilter um, off-kilter sensations reported in witnesses. There was one gentleman on Sasquatch Chronicles whose son fell to the ground and there was this apparent, they, they were on a Bigfoot hunt and they saw this dark figure in the tree line that was making this drone like a, like a didgeridoo. Um, and you'll find an almost, to me, Sorry, not almost identical, but very similar and very compelling description in Al Slate and, uh, sorry, <laughs> Al Barry and Ann Slate's book, Bigfoot, which is sort of the the uh, the ancestor of, of this book, where the footprints are in these books, um, because it's just so much great stuff about weird Bigfoot in there. But at one point, Barry describes uh, hearing a Bigfoot singing, and just starting with this drone, and he compared it to a sound that he had heard in a Japanese monastery. So 
you have this sound in that in that context in the context of you know the sasquatch chronicles uh victim son he described it like a didgeridoo it sounds like we're sort of talking about some sort of tuvan throat singing uh which you know timothy has captured in some in one of his uh on-site recordings uh, with strange familiars so i found that really interesting as well but there's no shortage of people who have reported um hearing this buzzing sound right before an encounter and that buzzing sound is something that you find in uh, you know marian apparitions you find it before alien abductions you find it in uh, in some classical fairy abductions like the young girl ann jeffries who reported the sound of like a thousand flies around her and it's something that you hear uh, when people slip into a lot of these different altered states of consciousness is this idea of this buzzing or droning sound that sort of engulfs them so it's an interesting idea to play with um the idea that something is facilitating an altered consciousness which allows this this other intelligence which may or may not be literally what it looks like to be a bigfoot or you know maybe that's the skin that it's chosen for this particular encounter um but it's an interesting idea to play with right and tim have you ever heard of the phenomena of an absence of sound during or before a uh, experience oftentimes i'll hear from witnesses and including my own experiences where there will be a vacuum effect have you heard of well, this yeah, yeah, and and uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure Josh will, will happily jump in and say it, it happens with UFOs and, and fairies as well. And uh, Josh can tell you exactly who who named it the Oz effect, Josh. It was uh, Jenny Randall's, uh, British okay. ufologist. And okay. uh, there's an interesting encounter that I that way I Linda Godfrey, a collector that we I talked about a little bit more in volume one than in volume mm -hmm. two, of uh, this gentleman who had seen a Bigfoot in. Uh, this park called Schiller Woods, which is interesting for a lot of different reasons. Um, uh, I believe that there was prayer involved in getting rid of the creature, and uh, mm -hmm. there was a sound like a tropical bird just before the sighting, but also before the sighting, despite the fact that this park is literally adjacent to O'Hare Airport, there was a complete silence, that's uncanny mm -hmm. silence that fell over everything. And that's something, you know, Rob Riggs um, and Tom Burnett talked about in a lot of their a lot of their stuff, too. Uh, but Rob Riggs, when he was in the big thicket, would often talk about, you know, yeah, there are these, sometimes there are these other sounds that you get, but there's also this mm -hmm. dead silence that just happens and not dead silence in terms of like, Oh, the crickets and birds have stopped, but like wind has stopped. Right. Everything else has stopped. Yeah. I believe I've actually recorded the, the lack of sound um, at site seven. One of the times we did, we saw something, it was, it was big and it was, it was white and it, it seemed to walk across the path. Other than that, we couldn't mm -hmm. really, uh, you know, tell what it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, and I didn't notice it at the time, but I, when I went back to listen to the audio, cause we, we always run audio when we're, when we're on site, we try to, and I went back and listened and, and I could hear us go, Oh, wow. Did you see that? It was, there was two of us there and we, we both saw whatever it was. And, uh, but the thing I noticed upon going back was that, uh, this was during August and there were night insects constantly, night insects and screech owls you could hear on every other recording constantly. And even earlier on the same recording. And then I just noticed during that, that segment that it was just dead quiet. You could hear no night insects, nothing else. And you just hear me and my, the, the, my uh, friend who was with me just say, wow, what was that? Did you see that? So, I, you know, I think yeah. that's, that's that lack of sound that I recorded. I think so. And it seems, yeah, it goes along with a lack of what should be people around too. Some of these witnesses describe being on you know, uh, a stretch of highway during rush hour and there'd be no, no cars around where there should mm -hmm. be cars in LA and they have a, a UFO sighting. So 
what do you think is going, how does that relate to uh, the Bigfoot phenomenon? Because we hear that with all these phenomena. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think some of these experiences, they're not for other people, you know, and, and I've said that to witnesses I've talked to either on, on my podcast or in person where they'll, for instance, they'll say like, you know, I, I couldn't wake up my partner. They were right next to me. And uh, this thing was looking in the window or, or this, whatever this entity had manifested in the bedroom and I couldn't wake him up. And I, you get kind of my answer is like, it wasn't for them. It was for you. Now, why, you know, that you know, I can't go any beyond that. I, I don't try to too much reason out uh, what's behind the other, because I think when you do that, you're going to very quickly um, fall into a, you know, a self-made trap because uh, it's capricious and, and it is by its very nature unknown. But uh, some, some of these experiences right. seem to be for an individual for whatever reason, you know, it, it's meant for them well, that, and they can be very personal. That, that begs the question that my good friend Greg Bishop has asked about, you know, what would have happened if December 26, 1986, you had set up a telescopic lens a mile from Whitley Strieber's cabin and was able to look through the window. Like what would, what would you have seen? Like, would you have seen something exactly as you described it? Would you have seen, you know, nothing happening, which you know, I've talked to Whitley and met Whitley. I don't think that's the case, but, or would you have seen him in some sort of trance state? Like what would you, what would you as a third party, um, you know, have seen? And I'm in of the, the, uh, I'm of the persuasion that at least in some cases, these things happen completely internally and happen in an instant. Uh, that's the only explanation for some of these things. Um, but you know, who, who really genuinely knows, I, I can't say. Right. No, it's a, it's a tricky subject for that very reason, because it does have that tailor-made quality to it. And it seems so personal. And sometimes the evidence is, is so personal in nature that you can't even share it because it's so minute, but yet so heavy to you that, you know, you get into the nuances, you get into the weeds of, uh, of the stuff. Very yeah, quickly. absolutely. So, and you know exactly yeah, what I'm talking about. When I'm trying to tell people like the, <laughs> right. the, the whole day yeah. with this darn cedar ball that we talked about on our on my pandemonium episode uh-huh. when you're asking me if I still had it and it was just like to anyone else, it's like, so what you guys were messing with this, but it's <laughs> right. not. So what it was this incredible like moment of like, why are you asking me about a cedar ball tobe? You know? <laughs> cause, mm-hmm. cause I had just, we just had this whole weird experience with it. It was, it was you know, but to try mm-hmm. to explain that to anyone else, it just loses the power. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And maybe that gets into cameras. Uh, it's not in your chapter, but it's an interesting, dynamic cameras we don't have the permission slip with this phenomena to a degree to really go out there and prove it to anybody sound though audio is a whole different permission slip with that what do you think the difference is between us coming out with a recorder and camera or have you guys even given it a i've given it a lot of thought and i i quote you quite often on that by the way yeah i was about to say was that you that said that because i've heard tim say it a thousand yeah. times yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's a good one that's that's tobe's uh, original uh, thing that, that i've well, I don't know. I think it might be them that gave it to me more than anyone. <laughs> yeah, I quote you a lot with that um, because I think that's, that's sort of the best almost way to phrase it, that we, we don't have permission. Um, I don't know what it is. I've taken pictures of the lights at Site 7, and they're completely unimpressive. They look like little little tiny like points of light out in the woods. Big deal. And I, I'll tell you that if I see them and they're red, 
or if I see them in their blue, if I see them in their green and we take pictures of them, they will come out as plain white on the camera every single time. I don't know what that is. Um, you know, again, is that personal perception wow. versus, versus, you know, what they really look like? I have no clue, but, um, uh, I don't even bother taking cameras with me anymore. I mean, I, we all have one in our pocket if we, if we carry a cell phone, mm-hmm. but I don't bother opening the, the camera app up. It, I don't think you're going to get anything worthwhile. And in my experience, whatever you capture on audio is going to be much more interesting in the end. You, you, yeah. you know, I just thought of this and, and feel free to, to tear it apart, but you know, I, I, this, this occurred to me that I feel like where we are with audio technology is a lot better at capturing and recreating what we hear compared to, you know, uh, mm. uh, cameras and, and lenses and the human eye. Um, right. And I wonder if uh, that might be a byproduct. Because, you know, also you hear about all these studies about how much uh, of our peripheral vision we just sort of fill in, you know, <laughs> half-assedly you know we're not actually processing that we were, we're our, our brain is sort of archiving that and throwing it back up around whatever we're focused on so you know i wonder if there is something that's inherently more psychological about vision uh as compared to 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 hearing i don't know yeah good points um you know it gets into uh, the nuances of the sounds we're going to be doing a conference coming up here on February 6th and 7th called um, Sasquatch and Anomalous Audio Analysis. And these other anomalous sounds that are indicative of Sasquatch activity, I call them like the business cards that are being <laughs> thrown out to your recorder. One of them is way more nuanced. And I think a lot of people meant, miss this, but it goes into the world of the specter and the poltergeist, which is these small raps, taps, hits. Um, do you guys mm. have any comments on what those are and Go ahead and tell me what your experience is with that. I think you've gotten into it more in your chapters, right, Josh? I mean, yeah. So I, I have to sort of put that within the context of, well, first of all, communication. Um, that's always a, a way for spirits to communicate. That's primarily if you look at you know, the, the spiritualist tradition. Um, but also you have to take a look at the number of, you know, times that a uh, passage into the other world, you know, so whatever that might be, you know, fairyland, the afterlife, mm-hmm. the spirit realm, whatever, is sometimes, you know, preceded by tapping on a special rock three times or something, or, you know, making three raps or three knocks. So I think that there's something, I think there's something in that bit of folklore that, um, that uh, mm-hmm. Ron Moorhead has talked about, uh, sort of alluded to in a way that, you know, these raps and these knocks are actually, he said it in a way and he was trying to be all quantum physics-y about it. And I'm not trying to disparage him. I just think that it's, it's a lot easier to just put this in folkloric terms, Bigfoot going in and out of trees, um, <laughs> which, you know, kind of sounds silly on his face, but there's such a connection between uh, whatever Bigfoot is mm. and, and the trees um, to the extent that sometimes I think we might literally be dealing with like a, a dryad spirit or something mm-hmm. um, that I wonder if it's not something about that, some sort of phase shift or, or I'm wondering if that's not sort of like things popping in and popping out of our reality. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what, that's what I've been leaning towards. But as far as, again, like everything else, as far as a solid answer or a solid opinion, it's going to, it's going to change. Something. Right. What, anything to add, Tim? I think I heard you say something similar about them popping in and out with the sounds. Haven't I too? That's where I'm leaning. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I I was woken up by wood knocks 
at, at that uh, ghost town in Pandemonium. Um, <laughs> funny enough, and I thought about this recently, it was, it was after leaving some of the things that, that you gave me, Tobe, that, that you had been gifted. We were doing that little experiment. Mm-hmm. And it was, we left those earlier in the day. So I don't know, did that have anything at all to do with it? I don't know. It's only recently that I started thinking back when I'm like, wow, I wonder. But um, these were very powerful. These were very, very heavy wood knocks. But, uh, you know, I've met other witnesses who said they, they had uh, very intense encounters. And the witness showed me, and I, I thought he was like really banging on a tree, you know, finding Bigfoot style. And he said, no, no, no. I was just tapping lightly on a rock, just with a, with a stick, not even really with a, with a, with a large limb or anything it was like with a little stick and he was just tapping lightly on a, on a rock and then had this very, very intense experience wow. after that. Yeah. So yeah, th- there's some, it's something about, you know, communication mm-hmm. and, and tapping, I think, um, right. but, you know, I think there's a lot of meat to what you're saying about like, could these, these popping sounds be, be something coming in and out of, of but, this dimension. I think we can all agree that the idea of Bigfoot <clears throat> deciding to make a tree knock and just finding at hand, a suitable piece of wood is is not is not a, is not is not a satisfactory answer, right. you know. Yeah, it's a, it seems like a clumsy act, you know, based well, on something that seems so hyperintuitive. Well, and if that's the case, you should see like every every Bigfoot should be carrying a walking stick or something, but <laughs> right. we just don't see that that often. Right, right, right. Or a walker that would be even better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh gosh. A, a, a hover round. <laughs> right, hover right, round. right. 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 You know, one Go of ahead. my favorite. Just while we're talking about sounds, real quick, one of my favorite sounds that that I know Ron reported in and Sierras, and I know you know tons of other people have reported around. I don't know if you've ever heard the car door slam, Tove. I have. I got that on tape one time, one night. Oh wow! So okay, T- describe people what you mean. So we're out in the middle of the woods. We we were actively investigating a, a Bigfoot sighting someone had had, I think probably probably a week or more before we got there. This was Usually I try to get there within days, but this guy didn't contact me till like a week or more after he had his sighting. And uh, it was just about nightfall and we were way away from anywhere and out of nowhere, here comes the sound of a car door mm-hmm. and we're looking around and we, we ended up like, where's the nearest parking area? We, we uh, went back another day and, and ran into some hunters and they're like, Oh, the, you know, parking area is a mile that way or whatever. And this was right beside us. I mean, it, it's clear as day on the, I say tape on the, on the digital recording. I'm, I'm old school. I still call them tapes, but, uh, and it sounds like a car door. I mean, it, there's, there's nothing else. I mean, that's exactly what it sounds like. And I've, I've heard it twice. I heard it that night and I heard it one day on Toad Road out of nowhere just to the point where I'm looking around looking for somebody with a, a four-wheel drive that, that somehow, you know, drove up on a road I didn't know about or something. Uh, it's that convincing of a sound and uh, it's very, very strange. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard it twice and I, I recorded it once. And that was the thing that Keel said, you know, the, the baby cry and the car door slam. Uh, were the two things that he noticed in a lot of his his research. The car door slam less so because it could be mistaken as something you know mundane. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, know, and it, it gets yeah. uh, it gets so specific with the car door slam sound that the times that I've heard it, you can actually hear what sounds like the rubber gasket and the flange closing, and it's extremely close. Like these aren't far away no. auditory experiences; these are right there. Now, does yeah. it sound like a Kia or does it sound like a Rolls Royce? Right, you know, that's a, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Do you understand I, I, what I mean, Tim? 
Yeah, the time I saw, on, on Toad Road, it was right in my ear, like right in my ear to the point where I, I'm, I'm literally turned around and look. I'm like, how did someone drive up, you know, without right. me knowing or without me seeing them? They couldn't. There was nowhere to be, you know, there's nowhere to yeah. drive there. But uh, the other time, the, the only thing we could think of was like, maybe there's a boat. We were kind of close to a river. So maybe there's a boat out there and somebody has a car door like thing on their boat. And we, we, of course, we did the due, due diligence and there was literally nobody around. There was no boats on the river right there it's and it again it's right you know it's it's not super easy to pick up stuff on a recorder if you don't have a a, a, a parabolic mic from far away mm-hmm. really what the recorder is picking up mostly is is the stuff that's right near you and you can hear this clear as day it was you know it sounded wow. like it was right beside us i wish you had it queued up um well let's get into uh, hex signs here because this is something that we haven't really talked about on the show but uh, we know them mainly as stick structures or glyphs of some kind, but you get into all different things here. Uh, talk a little bit about hex signs. Yeah, so I, this is the kind of a chicken and egg thing for me. and I, I don't remember what came first. I'll tell this little anecdote. At some point, I, I got the idea that there's like, so, you know, a lot of the, the flesh and blood Bigfoot guys will, will tell you they're markers. Well, most, most certainly they're probably markers of some sort. I mean, that's, that's, you know, Ogham's razor. That's, that's probably what they are. They're probably some kind of marker. It's not a bad guess, but then they'll tell you they're, they're um, hunting blinds or they're some sort of shelter. Well, they're, they're, you've seen these stick structures. They're open to the sky for the most part. Piss poor hunting blinds. They're not going to hide me, much less a, you know, a giant ape man. And uh, I, I started thinking like, what, what else could these things be for? Like, like they didn't seem to be, like sometimes they seem to be marking specific places, but not always. Sometimes they seem somewhat random or unknown, their placement. I did notice, I do notice um, that they tend to be clumped together. If you find one, you tend to find a couple more usually, if not, if not a bunch more. But other than that, I couldn't make much sense of it. And um, I will stop and say there's, there's people in Florida who say that, that they've tracked them and then they, they line up with specific um, uh, constellations and stars and so forth in the sky I haven't done that, that work. I can only report, you know, on, on what they've done. And, and it's very, very interesting if it's correct. But, it, you know, my own experience is just like, there's, I, I can't see them as definite markers for anything. I can't see them as anything. And, and I sat down with a, with a ghost box in one, one day. And I'm asking all kinds of questions about all, all different kinds of things. And I really didn't get any hits all day long until I asked, I said, what is the purpose of, of this structure? I'm literally sitting in the middle of one of these TP structures with a ghost box. And the only clear answer I got all day, it came back and it said spiritual. And I, I honestly don't remember if my mind was already leaning that direction, you know, and did I influence the, the ghost box? Maybe, I don't know. Or if that's, the, that's when my mind turned. But then I started thinking, could these be some form of of fetish or some form of uh, like a three-dimensional sigil. In other words, uh, a magical symbol. Uh, a, a, a sigil is essentially a, a graphic spell that people make. And is this a, like a three-dimensional version of, of some sort of spell or is it some kind of fetish? Like uh, we talk a little bit about the the devil nets from uh, True Detective, they call them, the sort of uh, symbols that people were making out of sticks and so forth. Is this some sort of form of that, some sort of fetish, some sort of altar, some sort of religious thing? And uh, there's more meat to that theory to me. And again, this, this is pure speculation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have, a, as, as Wes would say, I don't have a Bigfoot in my garage. I don't know. 
but there's more meat to that explanation for me that there's something about them that has to do with the, the, the spirituality uh, or uh, like, like I said, like making fetishes of some sort, you know, could these be altars to Bigfoot gods? You know, we, we don't know, but uh, to me that it just feels like a meteor explanation than saying they're, they're, they're just marking the hunting grounds or, or they're, they're leading uh, to water or whatever the other cases may be. Uh, so I started looking into other hominids other than humans and looking for instances of, of religion and magic. And uh, there's some pretty good evidence that Neanderthal man, like if this is another hominid, Neanderthal man um, had ritual and, and had art and had music and probably had some kind of religion. And this is based on them finding what they think are to be magic circles in Neanderthal caves and very symbolic setups of, of bear skulls and human skulls and, and specific patterns and so forth. So, you know, I'm not a big fan of the, the Bigfoot is an, an extant, you know, hominid uh, theory. I think there's, there's more to it than that. It's, it's much stranger than that. But even if it is, we can easily say that, well, Neanderthal had religion and, and they had magic, most likely. It's not a big leap to think of these creatures as, as having some sort of uh, magical leaning as, as, you know, they're into the occult or they have their own shamans or whatever the case may be. And, and these structures may in fact be, you know, some form of, of, of um, magical practice. Okay. So what happens if you take some of this magic home with you? Is that something you've done? Like a, a glyph or a stick weave or anything that, you know, was a, a treasure from the forest from, from site seven? Have you brought these things home? And has there been consequences of that? I haven't. Now I've, I've, I've messed a little bit with, uh, with stick structures in it. And as much as I've tried to pull them apart, and I don't know if you've done this, but I've found them to be very well constructed and very sturdy. They're not just sticks leaning together. They're, they're woven in. It's, I found, at least around here, it's usually like a living tree and then some deadfall and then, and then uh, you know, some, some pretty heavy branches kind of all woven together in, in uh, pretty similar ways, depending on the structure uh, type. You, know, you get these pyramids and, and the sort of rainbow uh, bends and people call them arches and so forth. And, but they seem to be sort of made in the same way and, and they're pretty sturdy. Like if you try to, I, now I'm not, I don't like the idea of like going and destroying, you know, someone's, maybe it's artwork. Maybe it's, maybe it's, like I said, maybe it's religious in nature. I don't necessarily like the idea of going and destroying that. So I don't really mess with the stick structures other than to kind of try to figure out how they were, they were made and, and pulled on them a little bit and, and have been amazed at how well constructed they are, how well put together they are. So I've not brought any of those homes. I do bring other quote unquote gifts, you know, from gifting sites home. And I've, I've had no real issues myself. A lot of people are like, I wouldn't bring that home. You know, I found <laughs> however many skulls yeah. out there on Bigfoot investigations, which is a, a whole other thing. And I've, I always bring them home and, and really have never had any issues, but uh, I've not, not brought any stick structures or, or, or glyphs home. Right. Hey, Josh, let's talk about uh, chapter seven. Let's get to the title of the book, Where the Footprints End, regarding trackways of Sasquatch. Why do the footprints end in such strange ways, and what have you found? Well, if you know, please tell me, or, or rather, I wish you'd told me months ago, so I kind of put it in here. Um, there's, just, there's just so much that's, uh, that's wrong with the footprints, um, which is weird because 
they're also like the best and most compelling evidence that we have. Exactly. Um, you know, you've got mid-tarsal breaks, dermal ridges, um, things that very specifically line up to primate anatomy, uh, things that, uh, that you know, and there's a lot of debate in the community, hourglass foot or non-hourglass foot still. Like the idea that, that, the idea that hoaxers are having those sort of conversations themselves just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's the most compelling uh, evidence that we have. And, you know, I, I definitely want to make sure that people realize that, like, Heaven, you know, Jeffrey Meldrum has done the Lord's work. He really has trying to, you know, unpack all this. Disagree with him, though I may on certain things. Um, but it doesn't take away or it, it doesn't do anything to explain these oddly numbered toes. You know, two foot, two toes, three toes, four toes, sometimes, you know, six toes or something like that. Um, none of that makes any sense. The explanations for three toes are all very... Uh, cherry picked you know they're not deformities because they just don't look like primate feet at all um you know they're not in the case of you know ones that are seen in alligator areas areas where there are alligators they're not alligator tracks um and they're not you know they're not syndactyly because syndactyly rarely manifests uh you know symmetrically across both feet um and certainly injury wouldn't necessarily either so You've got the footprints, then you have these trackways, which have, you know, sort of their own suite of oddities associated with them. Uh, you'll have a footprint that you'll find. You'll have an entire trackway of all the right foot or all the left foot. Um, you'll have places where, you know, I'm thinking about like the Rochdale, Indiana uh, Bigfoot sightings, which had a whole host of high strangeness around them. But among it was the fact that this Bigfoot seemingly was able to pass through brush, brush and bushes without making a sound and would not leave any footprints in the mud. Um, and then you have, you know, the, where the footprints end, these, these footprints that, uh, that terminate in the middle of, you know, really soft media that should pick up any uh any deviation we're talking about you know footprints that end in the middle of a snowy field that's you know f 50 yards from the the nearest uh you know uh nearest uh nearest uh disturbance in the in the snow or you know 50 yards of untouched mud or something <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense and all the all the all the real you know hardcore uh materialist explanations that you have oh they backtrack back you know, they backtrack through their footprints or they you know they jump to trees well sometimes you know bigfoot has been reported plenty of times jumping these astronomical distances but some of them would have to be like literally absurdly uh great distances right. that you know aren't matched by any other thing on, on planet earth so as to why i'm sympathetic to the idea of portals but i i don't really know how to engage with them because it, it, to me it's almost <laughs> like saying oh it's interdimensional and then as, as i've as i've said before like well how many angels can dance on the head of a pen you know it becomes this sort of mm. um, it's it's sort of like a way to just play with words like at that point we might as well say anything um well, so do I really feel, don't, let me ask you this josh do you feel like saying portals is a tantamount to saying i give up I mean, a little bit. Um, yeah. that's, that's probably it's probably a more articulate way to say it. And similarly, I feel like, you know, saying that they go to a different dimension, you might as well be saying, okay, they go to the spirit world. You know, it's it, mm -hmm. it might you know, it really is a, a, a sciencey way of saying mm -hmm. <laughs> saying I don't know when I give up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so mm -hmm. it's interesting. You know, throughout both books, we 
don't have a chapter dedicated to portals or a chapter dedicated to bulletproof Bigfoot or a chapter dedicated to, you know, Bigfoot phasing through objects. They're sort of nested within these other, these other topics. And uh, the portal question gets addressed a little bit in that track, that chapter on trackways, but um, addressed, but not answered. Let's put it that way. Right. Do you take issue at all with uh, portals, Tim? No, I, I wouldn't say issue. I, I, I just think there's so many I don't knows that, that when you when you start to try to ex- – well, this is the problem with this in general. When you start to try to explain it, it's going to hand you something else that proves you wrong or, or disproves your explanation. So I'm very, very cautious of, of that. You know, I think especially when it's like, well, first we need to kind of define what the portal is and from where does it come from and, and to where does it lead and, mm-hmm. you know, what are the rules of portals and, and so forth. So, I'm, you know, I'm cautious about it, but at the same time, it's like – I mean, interdimensional, that's a good explanation. You know, it's, I can't say I'm going to 100% get on board, but it's as good an explanation as any at this point, you know. Maybe they are stepping from another dimension somehow mm-hmm. into ours. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say that's untrue. I'm just right. going to say we kind of need more evidence. And the same with portals. We kind of need, need a little more evidence before we, uh, before we completely sign off on that. And I know some people have said they've seen things come through portals, which is I mean, that's incredibly interesting. It's very, very interesting. Are, is everything coming through portals all the time? I, you know, that's the other question. Right. I mean, it's, it's a better answer than anything I've heard from the flesh and blood camp. Let's put it that way. True. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd agree. Yeah. And there's a lot in this book, a lot to go through here. But uh, in our last little chapter here, we ended on uh, Under the Owl Moon, a case study of sorts. But there's some uh, bullet points within the chapter here. Uh, that I don't automatically recognize. Murphy is a Bigfoot. What is that? Oh, that was just a line I took out from um, uh, Clint Bergman when he was talking, Cliff, sorry, Cliff Bergman, when he was talking about um, the London trackway. Oh, so right. so I, I talk just a very briefly talk about the, the London trackway and your involvement in that uh, very briefly in the chapter. And uh, he sort of has this thing on his blog where he talks about the London trackway about uh, Murphy is a Bigfoot and basically Murphy's law being uh, applied to like every Bigfoot investigation and how many things seem to go wrong around Bigfoot. And I just, I thought it was a very, very appropriate quote to include. Um, gotcha. Okay. Book. Yeah. So did, did any surprises jump out while you're writing this chapter in particular, Timothy? I mean, our communication, uh, we didn't have a lot of communication you know during two th- nobody really did there during 2020 but uh you knew most of the case here and uh you know some things seem to change over time with the area well, a lot has changed over time with the area overall but uh you and i had our own mutual experience uh, experiment or you know we were trading gifts back and forth periodically as you were writing this or at least toying with writing that did that affect how you wrote this book or this chapter? I tried to sort of remove myself from it and, and more tell the, the story as, as you told it to me. And then when I found the, uh, the, uh, what is it? The Bigfoot UFO connections at the film. Mm. I, oh yeah. 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 When, when I, when I found that on Amazon where, where you're interviewed in that, I, I pulled something that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some of the things we didn't, I think when we initially talked, I don't think Daryl was like fully, out of the closet, you know, right, uh, right, right. Wanting to be associated with everything. He hadn't gone full Al Moon yet. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I did. I had never heard the UFO story, which I picked uh-huh. up from that video, and and a few other things I think, including um. Uh, and if we talked about it, I completely forgot about it, but I don't remember the, the messages you were leaving on the blocks with, with letters on them. Mm, yeah. And you were, get, you were getting English, essentially English messages back, mm-hmm. which is incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. That's super fascinating to me. I, and how many times did you do that? I know like they, you showed it kind of once in that movie, but did you mm. repeat that experiment multiple times? So... We repeated it uh, at two different spots at Al Moon. The last time we repeated it uh, was up uh, after Daryl had sold the place in the wilderness area behind his house. And um, I don't know if you know this story, but I'll just tell you because you're here. Um, you know, we went ahead and it was post-COVID. So I went down there and uh, grabbed the blocks and spelt out deep in the woods, uh, can we meet? And, uh, you know, just on simple little blocks with letters. And I left some extra letters on blocks for them to spell out an answer. And um, <laughs> I know I know how that sounds. But, uh, you know, I came back to check the blocks and I was like, hey, you know, we've got this pandemic underway. And uh, I think we need to meet and we need a cure. And um, so I go down to check the letters there. And uh, there's a mushroom waiting on top of a fossil. And it turns out the mushroom uh, is called Black Witch's Butter. It's something readily available here, I think, in the Pacific Northwest on dead logs. Uh, It gets deep into Joshua's idea of the Trojan Feast, where something was left that was an answer to a question, a gift of sorts for an upper, a cure for upper respiratory illness and a way to meet the land spirits. So to answer your question, they did answer my, you know, my question. Uh, mm-hmm. regarding can we meet but they did it with an action rather than grabbing the letters now do you feel that that was the meeting in a sense that that sort of information was the meeting i think so i mean it, it's uh it's something that you have to think about i mean did i i didn't ingest this thing it's sitting here in a ziploc bag uh next to me actually um uh, it's just a little tiny uh you know little dried up uh mushroom but uh you know regarding them spelling something uh, back to me at Daryl's house. I think the question was, uh, I think I said, thank you for gifts. And in reply, they wrote welcome, but they had mm-hmm. to use a couple numbers because the letters were empty. So whatever's happening here, and I have to give credit to a guy named Scott Taylor out of Washington state who came up with the idea of grabbing Scrabble pieces and laying those out in Bigfoot hotspots to see if he can get some kind of uh, answer back. Now he's saying that he's getting um, Aramaic and ancient Hebrew uh, wow. out here. So I don't know if, uh, what do you guys think of that as far as the idea that something's coming? I mean, because honestly, I still tell this story. And I'm like, God, maybe I got hoaxed so bad and I'm <laughs> so gullible that I missed this hoax. I get it. Like, this is, sounds so ridiculous. But what do you think of that? I mean, can we reach back in lore and say, no, 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 this, this happens? I, yeah, I mean, I think... I think the the very nature of gifting exchanges shows a willingness of the phenomena, whether it's Bigfoot or we're talking spirit gifting, you know, whatever it is, it's a willingness of the phenomena to communicate with us. And that might be a major part of everything that's going on. It might be, you know, 
the, the best way this, this other knows how to communicate it with us is to manifest as a big hairy ape, you know, waving at us from the woods or something, you know? Um, but I, you know, to me, it makes sense. I, I mean, I've heard enough reports of, of Bigfoot speaking in any number of languages, you know, native tongues, and it's certainly mimicking at least English or, you know, we have some accounts in the book of it speaking English as well. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me in the least that it, that it would be able to communicate that way. I've, I remember reading other people and I thought it was Lisa Shield, but it, it wasn't, it was somebody else who was getting Chinese symbols and, mm. and glyphs um, that, that, that were uh, like the Chinese symbol for friend, I think mm. you know, they, they were getting in, in glyphs and stuff that was laid out in sticks. So, you know, w- what language it chooses that may go into who you are or whatever impression it's trying to make or, or maybe that's the only language, human language, it has the ability to master. You know, that's a big question mark. But it certainly feels like something the phenomenon is capable of doing. It, it's not surprising to me. The um, by the way, that I did know your black witch butter story, and I and I immediately I have a friend here who who does, um, um, you know, go, uh, wild crafting and 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 seeks out you know wild foods and is is you know he's like the guy for that. I always like hiking with him because you don't have to bring any snacks with you. you <laughs> walk through the woods. And, and I, I immediately asked him, I was like, do we have black witch butter around here? And he's like, ah, not to my knowledge. I don't think we do. Um, I mean, yeah. this is all to say, you know, th- there's also a possibility that this is entirely you, Tobe. I mean, I don't know if you've really played with that idea yourself. Um, but the idea that this is some higher part of you that's somehow manifesting all this. Um, yeah yeah tell me how that would work (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a great question um well you know it's it's sort of the the question that a lot of the the magical community deals with is like well once you you know if if you're having something to summon and bind a spirit how do you know that that isn't some sort of other part Mm -hmm. of you um an astral part of you and i know that sounds Mm -hmm. sort of silly but um something again this is just where i've been looking into stuff lately um right there are a lot of cultures that think of you know uh us of have as having multiple souls um you know the abraham abrahamic traditions actually kind of have the simplest soul craft of uh of, of most uh religions uh you know, the egyptians had i think eight different parts of our souls mm. um and then if you look at you know the earlier traditions of the daemon uh of the higher self uh in you know um classical uh, uh traditions the, it was almost like the uh it was you are you are uh you are Mario and the daemon is the video game player kind of thing. So, um, you know, if, if reality is itself more malleable than we realize, and if, Mm. you know, things like poltergeists come from us, um, then is there some possibility that a lot of this, uh, gifting and and whatnot is somehow you bringing in a porch yourself? I mean, it's a, Something I, to think about, yeah. yeah. Uh, if I mean, if we didn't have walked away with so much damn physical evidence of it being a hominid of some mm-hmm. kind, including these knee prints and the hair and the greasy, oily handprints, which now have the classification via uh, Doug Hycheck called Alba Vernix. I don't know if yeah, you guys I saw have, that. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, yeah that's that's looked into awesome. that, but. Um, the interesting part of that, of course, is uh, this white chalky powder. Uh, I was going to ask you guys and your findings, did you find anything or is there anything in folklore that talks about the magic of a white chalky powder? Hmm. 
not Coke. <laughs> I'm not talking, <laughs> not talking about nose candy. Well, so I, I'm struck by two things come to mind immediately. Number one, you know, if you need to create a protective circle, I mean, do it salt, but I think also chalk could be used for that for the purposes of setting up a sacred space. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. mm -hmm. but, you know, some people have tried to, and I always fall short of really signing on to any of these ideas because they're always so kind of scattered. But some people have signed on to the idea of uh, limestone um, having mm. some sort of paranormal properties. And if memory mm. serves, limestone is basically calcium carbonate. It's basically, you know, dead seashells, which is chalk. Um, but I mean, that doesn't, that, that's not in terms of powder. I don't know if that, if that really is a direct one-to-one -one correlation. Or not. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if you, if you did enough digging that you wouldn't find something, but I, I'm just not like off the top of my head. I, I'm, I'm not pulling anything up. Yeah. There's, right. there's some, there's some magically operant person who's just screaming at their, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their yeah. Right now. Well, like maybe gets into uh, location properties, uh, uh, rock quarries being one of them. Uh, you know, why would Sasquatch hang around rock quarries? They're super hot spots. Mm -hmm. um, you know, interesting to think that they may be mining of some kind, and that gets into ancient alien type uh, teaching of what could be happening here with them. Are they the megalithic mound builders of old? Well, I mean, I have. So I have. When I when I meet Bigfoot witnesses. I do all the Bigfoot stuff first. You know, how tall was it? Where was it standing? Blah, 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 et cetera. I do all the, the, the standard Bigfoot stuff. First. Then I have a series of questions. more patience than I do, man. <laughs> T Timothy's the only person who yeah. has a Bigfoot order of operations. <laughs> right, right. I, I, no, I, I mean, I, then I have a series of questions. I ask yeah. them afterwards, among them, like, what else weird have you seen or experienced? Mm -hmm. But one of them is, where around here is there someone was digging in the ground or is there legends of buried treasure? almost 100% of the time you'll get a story. Oh yeah, 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 there's a legend of, there's an old silver mine up the way, there's a legend of it, or yeah, old, old man Charlie supposedly buried treasure back there, there's supposed to be gold buried mm -hmm. back there, or very often mm -hmm. there was a mine here. Yeah, there's, a, there's right. an old mine up the road and, and uh, it's abandoned now, but there's an old mine. So quarries are another big one. So I, I mean, I really feel like there's something, and again, I don't know what it is, but there's something mm -hmm. about this idea of people digging into the ground and then this phenomena kind of popping up around those areas. Right. And that would heighten up uh, even poltergeist activity. Uh, you know, that was one of the things that we had wondered whether or not building, as uh, Daryl was doing on the property, building this metal shop where a lot of the activity was, somehow stirred up the activity the same way it would in a hall. Oh, so he, he, he had built that. That wasn't existing when he moved in. Well, just the pillars and the roof, but he oh. added a cement slab, which was almost like a, I don't know, it almost seemed to be a, putting a dam over something that wanted to have free energy flowing out of it, you know, and it, uh, right. I was like, man, maybe you put a cap on something that didn't need a cap on it, man. Wow. No, that's yeah. really interesting. I, 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 I thought the, uh, the, uh, build, the, uh, out barn or, or the metal building was, was there already when he moved in. So yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's an, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting aspect for sure. Yeah. Well, as far as locations are concerned for Bigfoot activity, for extended experiencers, did you find a sweet spot where they like to hang out? Because there seems to be sweet spots where the phenomena likes to go. Would you guys agree with that? I'd agree 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. If, if, if you want to experience things, there's, you know, 
I mean, sometimes it's goofy. Sometimes, you know, Crybaby Bridge is just a silly legend and, and, and Gravity Hill is almost always just a, a, an optical illusion. But some of these other places, I mean, just in my research, I found like there's often a reason why these legends pop up and, and why people say like, yeah, that, that area is, you know, that's the that's devil's the- hole and there's, there's mm-hmm. you, you know, tons of uh, ghosts there and, and hobos will throw rocks at you from the woods or whatever it might be. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, Joshua, do you think that's due to, um, you know, the witness uh, making, you know, activity happen in that certain area? Or is it because of a geological event? Or how do we explain these hot spots? I mean, I, you know, I, I think looking for, I don't think that there's geography that can guarantee that something happens there, right? But I think that there is geography that is more conducive to this happening. I think that there's architecture probably that's more conducive to these sort of things happening, which I mean, not necessarily Bigfoot, but just these phenomena in general. Um, you know, something that I, I, I talk about uh, towards the end of the book in the chapter on the trickster is uh, the Philip experiment, which um, I don't know. I don't want, I don't want to talk down to you if you're familiar with it, but are, are no. you familiar with it? Talk, so, talk down to me. <laughs> well, so the Philip experiment um, was a uh, group of cy researchers and this is all uh, well-documented. I mean, this is not me saying, Oh, this allegedly happened. Like this is all extremely well-documented. Um, a group of cy researchers who decided to, you know, make a ghost. Um, and they, came up with this uh, young boy named Philip and they built an entire uh, backstory for him serving during the English civil war and all this stuff. And after several tries, they actually were able to contact Philip, this completely fictitional character that they all knew was fictitious during a seance. And they had certain phenomena uh, manifest during the seance that correctly answered their fictional backstory. Like, you know, were you involved in the English Civil War rap three times and something would rap three times. So they basically created a ghost whole cloth. And, you know, I think that, you know, people like just throw out the word tulpa, uh, which is kind of what that's describing. Although I think that, I think that tulpa is a little bit more, um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, uh, culture specific for my taste. I think that people throw that word around too much, but I do think that there is something to the idea that certain areas have a sort of psychic accretion. And I think that they do build on themselves and that might be a reason that you do have hot spots. Not that necessarily that all these phenomena are drawn to the same place, but like it keeps on getting this, you know, it's like, uh, it's almost like <laughs> the energy there levels up and, you know, at level one, you right. get ghosts and at level 15, you get UFO crash was there back in 1925 <laughs> or whatever, you know? Um, so that's, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. I don't, I don't like that idea. You know, for me, as somebody who's interested in these things, who wants them to be a separate entity from the self, who want them to be entirely like, quote unquote, real in the way that we understand it. I don't like that idea, but it's something that I find to be a really interesting, uh, interesting concept to play with as well. So I don't, that was a whole lot of words to say, I don't know, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, but I think that we have to, I think that we, we have to keep a lot more of these ideas on table, including ideas like that one that I don't like, you know, I don't, I don't like that one because it's not cool, but, <laughs> but, um, right. you know, I, th- I think, I think we have to be honest with ourselves. So maybe that's it. Um, I'm also a big fan of, uh, of, uh, the, uh, Zorth. the cover. 
Well, Zorth, yeah, Zorth, Zorth got mentioned on Mysterious Universe this past. Uh, oh, he did. Uh, Zorth, Zorth did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, but uh, you guys have any opinion on Zorth? Uh, yeah. What can you say about Zor? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but there's um. Take the book. <laughs> there's I mentioned this the other, the other night. There's a, there's a the cover to the re-release of Jacques Vallée's Passport to Magonia, and it's a picture of a a gray alien, and it's got like three masks that it's holding in its hand, and one of them's like a fairy queen, and one of them's the robot, or no, one of them's a fairy queen, one of them's a, a, a devil, and one of them's like you know a 1950s alien, and that's an interesting idea that these things are wearing different masks, but that artwork from the cover, the original draft of it, which mm -hmm. I have a picture saved of, is um, actually the gray alien itself is revealed to be a hand puppet, and the actual arm of the puppeteer is outside the frame of the, <laughs> of the picture, and that to me is, is my favorite idea which is that uh, we're dealing with something that wears a lot of different masks. Mm -hmm. So it totally makes sense that you'd have a window area because it's just the phenomena that manifests there and chooses depending on what will resonate with people to either be mystery lights or right. a ghost or a Bigfoot or a UFO. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the, uh, the Al Moon area seems to have dug its uh, little four fingered rubber hands into some new host because um, there is a still connection to Bigfooters living on that land, which is just now coming about. So um, it'd be interesting to see how things progress because I'm miles away from it, probably five hours or so away from the land as it is now. And I think in general, once the land finds you know, the parties that are interested in it, that uh, it calls them in kind of like a siren from outside the source, no matter how it works. I don't mm -hmm. know how the synchronicity or the magnet pulls these people in, but it gets its hands on them somehow, some way. And uh, it's interesting to watch that play out. Did, did you guys find that at all, that these places where Bigfoot phenomena is more active, these extended experience or spots that they call in people? You know, I, I don't know if I thought about it like that. I mean, it, it's certainly it's certainly one possible explanation. It, yeah, I mean, why else does it happen? Why else do, or do these do these people keep having these repeat experiences? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, is it uh, unless? And again, like 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 Josh said, I don't particularly like the idea that this is all like us manifesting something from our subconscious. I don't like that idea, but, but that's, it's still something we have to have to throw out there, you know, right. And, and, and right. list as a possibility and it, unless that's happening. But the thing mm -hmm. is, it doesn't seem to, that's the, that's the really difficult thing about this. Cause, cause I want to go completely like off the map and say, it doesn't matter where you are. And you know, a lot of people, when I started Strange Familiars, they would what is it about Pennsylvania? And in the beginning, I say, no, 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 it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. I, I would find the weird stuff if I lived in Colorado or Florida <laughs> or, or wherever. It right. doesn't matter. Right. But then over time, I'm like, well, wait a minute. There, there is something. There's something about place. And it may be the way I resonate with the place where I am. Mm -hmm. it, it may not, you know, be anything more than that. But right, right when I'm at this idea someone sends me these magnetic anomaly maps of Pennsylvania and darn if there isn't a, there's a magnetic anomaly over every one of these areas that we frequent that, that ha have these repeat experiences like uh, toad road, that area, there's a magnetic anomaly that, that follows the road right up. That's insane. That's right insane. up the road. There, that wow. site seven area. There's a magnetic anomaly blop right down over top of it. Hex hollow magnetic anomaly blop right down over top of it. And then uh, 
Michaud Forest, which is if you're in Pennsylvania and you want to have a Bigfoot experience, that's that's probably the number one place to go. And it it kind of follows the it it follows the Appalachian Trail or the Appalachian Trail follows it, however you want to think about it, from the middle of the state down through um, to the southern part of the state and, and into Maryland, where there's been you know tons and tons of of experiencers have, have had various things happen there. There's a huge magnetic anomaly that dips down through there. So right where I'm at the point where I'm like, no, it doesn't matter, like you, you know landscape and all that, it doesn't have anything to do with it. Somebody throws these maps at me and I'm like, what is this? You know, right. <laughs> So yeah, I, I believe that there's some talk of there being a magnetic anomaly over the Uinta Basin too, which is where, right. I mean, Skinwalker is probably about 75% military testing, but there's also odd stuff in the Uinta Basin as well. And uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, all, but all the talk of like magnetic stuff or the, the, the rock formations or, uh, you know, running water, et cetera. Like there are so many different theories out there that I think that, I do think that there are connections and I think that somebody has probably gotten pretty close to nailing it, but there's, they're just so each of those ideas is so untestable. It's like, well, which one do you go with? You know, mm-hmm. right. um, yeah. that's, that's, that's where I get really frustrated with, with the mm-hmm. talk of things like that. Right? Yeah. If either one of you ever have a chance to reach out to Henry Franzoni, I, I often mm-hmm. refer people to Henry uh, as far as the forefather of looking into uh kinetic energy and Tesla technology and Bigfoot. Uh, he wrote the book Spirit of Seattle. And uh, we had him out at the Al Moon lab and he was the only person to really look at the property and start to come up with there being more of an out of the box you know, solution for why all this weirdness was happening there. And um, just a really great guy, be a really great guest or a good conversation for you guys to reach out to. He's such a, a out of the box thinker when it comes to this. And uh, Anyway, uh, he just comes to mind here as far as uh, what we're talking about. And he was his name guy. pops up. Oh, sorry, what? go ahead, Tim. He was another guy that started out very much flesh and blood and had to basically change over time as, as the evidence presented itself to him, right? Yeah. In fact, the first thing I interviewed him back in 2007 uh, at the age of talk shoe radio, I think it was, doing a podcast. And he said, oh, yeah, Bigfoot blew up my uh, radiator. Uh, or my, it blew up my starter on my car. And that was such an odd thing to hear right out of the gate. But um, it makes perfect sense now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his, so, his, name, his name shows up, is peppered through both uh, volumes one and two. Uh, oh, good. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting guy and uh, just such an easy guy to talk to. Again, uh, uh, where the footprints in high strainness and the Bigfoot phenomena, volume two evidence. You can find it now at Amazon along with volume one and all the books, including Apparitions. Uh, Joshua Cutchins has at least four books I'm looking at ready for you to buy also as well. Can I find all those on Amazon, Josh? Uh, yeah, you can find them all on Amazon. You can get them signed from me or, uh, you know, if you want to do something that will really make my heart sing, if you can find them through somebody besides Amazon, that's always encouraged there you as go. well. Yeah. yeah, you don't, that's, yeah, great. And again, uh, Timothy, what uh, what is the website people should go to for you? Strangefamiliars.com. That's my podcast, but all that contact information goes directly to me. Great. All right, guys, thanks for being a guest today. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. All right. Good night, guys. All right. That was Timothy Renner and Joshua Cutchins. Where the footprints end. Now you know how to find it. Go buy it. Also, I want to thank uh, Renner for my signed copy 
of apparitions, an art book, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Ghost, the Undead, and Cryptids, and Mothman. You have to see Renner's artwork to really appreciate. I can't describe it to you, but uh, it captures the eerie, the strange, the wonderful, all in pen and ink. It, uh, it transfers well, and he's got quite the eye. And if you want to see something that's really spectacular, check out the book. Rather, the cover of the book, Where the Footprint's in, Volume 2. And there you'll see an homage to the Al Moon Lab in a way that uh, is hard to ignore. Okay, so you know what to do this week. Check out both of those invites. The free virtual conference, Sasquatch and Anomalous Audio Analysis, coming up all over social media. Sign up now. And then the Strange Troll poll. Go to strangeaboutradio.com and click on that. And send your tobe on an adventure. Okay, that's it. If you haven't subscribed, do so to the YouTube channel. Share some of those videos. That helps out with the algorithms. Also, don't forget our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash strange brow radio. And if you yourself have an encounter, something you'd like to talk about other than UFOs, Sasquatch, and aliens, I'd love to talk to some people that have a great conspiracy outside of Q <laughs> and want to come on here and tell me tell me about your conspiracy. Let me know uh, what exactly you have cooking or what you think has been cooking in the dark. All right. As always, you be good out there and I will see you soon or I will see you in the trees. The following audio is from the Wolf Creek Lodge in Wolf Creek, Oregon. The owner, Andrew Schroyer, can be heard here giving me a tour before my overnight in this incredibly haunted and historic inn. All right, so I'm here with Andrew. He's giving me a quick tour of the place here. We're in Clark Gable's room. What are you going to show me, man? So I was going to show you, this is a real common thing that happens in this room is that um, you can only lock this particular lock from the inside. And this continuously, oops, sorry, little things, but it gets locked from the inside and people can't get into the room. So we have to crawl in either through the window, off the balcony. Are you serious? Okay. <laughs> or we can usually get into this door, but it's usually locked as well. So. so do you do EVP sessions up here too? Like, have you got Clark? Um, so I've had a couple say that they had um, a real brief kind of discussion with Clark. Yeah. I'm not particularly sure it happened that way okay because we that was a one-off we've only had one person that's ever claimed to actually talk to Clark Gable um, 
Carol Lombard, on the other hand, maybe. Could be? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Visual stuff too? Visual, yeah. Okay. Um, there's a great book. Yeah, I see a Clark Gable book over there. Yeah. There used to be a log, I wonder if it disappeared, that people used to write down all their experiences on. Um, oh, those are the best. And those are fun to Yeah, read yeah, yeah. Oh, that's just. Because you can get a common denominator. Oh, and the log. hot water turns on in the middle of the night. That's very common. Uh, <laughs> the AC is awesome. It's working yeah. good. Well, it's it's not just that. It's a climate control system. So it's oh. like humidity and everything. And it's all perfectly balanced. But this is our perfume smell. And it is. Okay. Now, and it will come on like really strong. And they just. Like choke you out? Yeah, gone. Within seconds. And, and it's just you, right in here in yeah, front you of can, you can run back and forth and you're not going to smell it. Okay. I'll be but able I to look long, out for that. I get a real strong uh, vibe here. When I stay here. This is the room I stay in. Uh, I like the bunk rooms. And oh, this one has are, awesome. great activity in this. Yeah. Lots of orbs. Really? Mm, okay. This particular room. So some of these are off limits? This is off limits. Yeah. This is Jack London's room, so we keep it wide. Oh, wow. Look at that. White Fang? Yeah. That Jack London. Damn. So he finished uh, Valley of the Moon here. This was, that was his last book. Oh, yeah. Look at this. What a piece you of You imagine history. him and Charlemagne on the bed? That was their bed. <laughs> Look how big that is. <laughs> I mean, granted, they were smaller, yeah. but not that small. Well, people were tinier back then, but yeah. not, yeah. Look at this now. What's this an honor to? Well, this is just like a little museum. Okay, of all have. your stuff. And you got to check out Clark. Look how handsome that guy is. That was when he had just started. He was still a logger up in Portland. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't know he was a logger. Yeah, that's how he, okay. got, he was got founded. Wow. So this gal was... Um, used to run a theater in Portland and she was walking down the street one day and saw him and he'd come into town to go drinking and she grabbed him and said, listen, you follow me. And she took him down to California and got his teeth fixed. His teeth were really messed up. And Oh, and that's where you're in your shirt. Yeah. And that's where it came from? Yeah. The caps, the little list that he had? Yeah, he had yeah like a, because he had, yeah. they had to straighten some teeth and then they pulled some teeth. And I mean, <laughs> okay. And they were able to get him kind of into this shape here. Yeah, that became his trademark is the sound of his teeth kind of whistling. And he, uh, <laughs> of course, got rich and then dumped her and got Carol. Oh, and yeah. The time was he made an upgrade. She was the highest paid actor in Hollywood back there. Well, so there's all kinds of shit. Yeah, yeah I don't want to take you away from what you were doing, too, no, no, either. I'm okay. Yeah, so this is a. I'm telling you, there's all kinds of shenanigans because this is the oldest part of the building. Right okay. Here. Yeah. And then. These used to be rooms before, yeah. see where the dividers are? Yeah. These are rooms before Google built this section in the 30s. And so you can imagine these are pretty tight quarters, but oh, yeah. rooms were small because you weren't heating them. You know, there's only three fireplaces in the whole building. So they, uh, they had rooms here, they had rooms here. And then of course this was where the uh, wait staff this was living quarters at one point, and they opened up that this whole thing was a restaurant. And then uh, the, this the is staff incredible here. So the story on this, we know there's three kids in the building, two little boys and a girl. And um, the, the story has been told to me by many, many people um, that one of the little boys pushed the girl down and killed her in the staircase. She landed on the, the landing there. Wow. And my medium, and I can't, I mean, I, I've never asked her, but she really likes to spend a lot of time in this area. Mm -hmm. She's really drawn to this. And uh, 
Yeah, it's pretty concentrated energy, I mm-hmm. bet. I've never really asked her who she feels like is in this area, but most likely it's a little silver girl. Okay. So I've only had experiences with the little girl, and then there's an older, really grumpy guy here, and then there's this beautiful young lady about this tall, brunette, in a red velvet dress with uh, you know pearls. Have you and seen her? I've seen her. Oh, you have. And that was a full body apparition. Full body, and it like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. But the uh, there is something about hearing things, yeah. smelling things, but when you see it, yeah. That is something else. That and so I was downstairs. I was talking to my my liquor just guy, and hey, <laughs> there, there she is. It's a full body apparition. And she, so I'm on the phone, and this gal walks up and opens the door, the swinging door down there in the in the beverage room. Okay. And the, and I remember looking over, going, "What the?" And then I was like, "Hey, I gotta call you back." And I hung up. Door is still swinging. And she was gone, but. Physically, a door opened and was swinging, and it was just like, wow. That just happened. I felt like I arrived at that moment. <laughs> I have finally had my moment. Right, because that happened before you, I interviewed. I mean, that happened after I interviewed yes, you. Yes, this okay. happened late last year. Okay. And it was just phenomenal. That was just, oh wow. It was yeah, so it's just yeah. when it happens. Yeah. It's like becomes yours. Yeah. It's like oh, I got goosebumps just thinking about it on your behalf. And I don't, you yeah. know, And what's funny is I don't have a whole lot of experience except when I'm in the kitchen things are flying all over the place you know spoons and stuff coming off the racks but that was for me that was mm-hmm. very special. that's daily stuff flying oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh that's enough that's a nothing <laughs> burger okay yeah nothing burger <laughs> right. especially in the morning when you get here yeah you can just go into the kitchen you should do it in the morning this door will probably be open you can walk down just go in there and say good morning Wolf Creek Go and down and go down that stairwell or where? No, you can go through okay. the hallway down here. Yeah. And something will happen. Say it good likes morning. to communicate. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, it's we had a lady quit last um, October because it got too little too much for her. Okay. So here's your room. This is the famous room of eight. Wow, okay. This ought to be good. Not quite ready yet. Oh, no, you might be ready. Is room eight ready? Uh, room eight, the towels aren't ready. We're going to see two medium towels and we're going to do the bonus and that's Okay. Yeah, this is good. Oh, you know what we could do? We could You'll have fun in here. Oh, this is an active one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you should, uh, right. there should be some conversations tonight coming from the bathroom. Okay. Like wi- women or what? Oh, a female. Okay, female entity. Real deep voice. Um, and you guys have seen stuff too? I haven't been here very long, but I tell you what, I've heard so many stories. It's yeah. kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, you're in for a treat. Okay. Abigail's very special. She uh, She's part of a, a group, the Red Hats, Top Hats, and they, they come in and do um, our dinner theaters and stuff. Oh, really? And okay. they're out of Glendale. And of course, all their activities we've had to cancel. Yeah. They're a really talented group of young people. So you put on performances? In, uh huh. In okay. the ballroom. Uh-huh. And then we last Plays. week we did yeah. a big one outside in the patio. That was oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A full stage. I'm now talking two story stage with balconies. Wow. It was incredible. Okay. Uh, darn it, I wish I could get on a. Yeah. It's our favorite place to perform. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it puts you right in character. Yeah. 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 Don't have to try. It's fun. If we can only get like 
in the ball with like 20 something people, right? Usually. Yeah. So it's really intimate, but mm -hmm. they people have such a great time. And they do like Christmas show. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah. I didn't even sleep in the Jeff, we are almost done. No, 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 I'm impressed. Uh, usually it's about 4 o'clock if I was right. Oh, fantastic, thank you. This is Mary Kickford's, um, not a whole lot of activity in this room. Um, I feel like this is one of the quieter ones, and then this one's pretty cool. This is, we call it the Wade. And uh, this has a little bit, lots of, uh, when I'm here, I, I've stayed in this room before, and I end up hearing um, the kids kicking a ball in the ballroom. And you can hear it like a boink, boink, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of hollow sound? Mm -hmm. And you'll hear it at night, and it's, it's uh, intermittent. Boink, 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 boink. And it just sounds like kids kicking a ball against the right. wall. And I remember the first, that was my first experience I ever had here. When we took over, I didn't know what was going on. I remember like going out, just kind of like in the ballroom, like, listening for it, but it wouldn't happen until you got in here, but you could tell it was definitely coming down the hall. So mm -hmm. It's kind of fun. What about lights? Do you see lights at all in, in the no. rooms not outside me. of the hotel in the forest? Nothing like that? No, okay. no, not me, because I'm not here at night. Okay, I'm where are you? Very rarely. So I open and okay. I get the barbecue going. Okay, but you're around here or where do you go? In the, uh, You live close by? I live in Grants Pass. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Cool. But you can ask the folks that live around here, and it's, if you ask the locals, they'll tell you about the, the Wolverine character that lives out in the woods, the wolf. The wolf man. Yeah. Is that what the logo is? Uh, well, that's what they base it on, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that's not just a wolf. No, to me it looks very sinister. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> especially, you saw the one in here, right? I saw the one inside the uh, museum over here, and it has this kind of German uh, yeah, insignia like looking to it, right? I mean, it, it definitely looks like uh, I mean, this does not look like a friendly place to get a bite to eat. No, he's I mean his eyes are scowling. Yeah, right Mouth agape So this would have been the 70s when they did this. Yeah okay. And that logo was prevalent until the state took over and they kind of <laughs> rebranded. Yeah, make it a little softer. And sure, better, you know kind of sanded off the edges. Yeah, Okay, exciting, man.